Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Pilgreen, and this is the Bring It Out podcast. My desire is to help bring out all that has been placed within you. And I believe today's conversation will guide you in the process. It's Ben, and I'm so excited that we're finally here. This is the first ever episode of the Bring It Out podcast. Let me tell you a little bit of the background behind this podcast. My passion is to help people clarify their purpose and begin stepping into the life that they were meant to live. In fact, I like to say it this way, whatever God puts in you, he wants to bring out of you, and I wanna help guide you in that process. And this podcast is going to bring you conversations that I think will allow you to hear other people's stories, and it will shed some light on how you might be able to clarify your own purpose and remove the obstacles that are in the way between where you are today and where you're going to be one day. And my first ever guest is Atul Digi. Atul, welcome to the podcast. Great, thanks, Ben. Excited to be here. Atul's byline is that he is a futurist, a strategist, and an innovator. Atul, it sounds like the coolest job ever to know that you are a futurist, but what in the world does that mean? Yeah, it it is an interesting job title. Um, What it means basically is that I help people and organizations think about the future. So I help them to to consider the possibilities and and then figure out the choices they're going to make to get them to the outcomes that they want. And... Did you just know you were good at that when you like were six years old or looking back? What, what are the kinds of things you can point to and go, Hey, I think this was because this podcast is all about, Hey, what is in you? So how did you begin to discover at a young age as a young adult or recently? Hey, I'm going to be a guy who's going to help people think about the future. Yeah. It's not, it's not the usual kind of thing, right? When you're growing up, you're like, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think I want to be a futurist. Hey, you, you pick a doctor, lawyer, engineer, firefighter, Absolutely. police officer, basketball player, baseball player. Um, no, I'd, I'd love to say that there was some, that there was some clarity that I had when I was young. It, it, it it's one of those things where from, um, from a secular perspective, people would call it coincidence from a godly perspective. You, you, very clearly and, and how I call it is, is that the hand of God was moving and his spirit was guiding me without me even really recognizing or knowing that. Yeah. Um, the long and short of it is uh, where I went to high school in Houston, right across the street from our high school is a university of Houston campus. And at that campus, there's a graduate program called studies of the future that's offered. And while I was in high school, a couple of my high school teachers were taking coursework in that program. So that kind of planted the seed um, after undergrad Working up on Capitol Hill for a while, I got the sense I needed to go to grad school. So it just became a question of which kind of grad school do you go to? Law school at? That didn't seem quite right. Um, MBA, kind of a business school. What I had an undergraduate degree in business, so it felt redundant. And I remembered this program called Studies of the Future. And so I went into the professor's office, said, I know nothing about this. What is it? He shared with me what it is. Hey, you help people think about the future? Does that sound like you? I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Sign me up. That's great. And what are some of those initial things you learned? Okay, if I'm going to help people think about the future, I need to know, maybe not the future, but what, what are those tools that you need to know if you're going to help us think about what's ahead? Yeah, I think that the, the first learning really is that it's more about preparation than prediction. That's good. And and, and really because it, the, the thought is, oh, you're a futurist. Do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? I'd love to tell you I, I did. 
In fact, if I knew what was going to happen tomorrow with the stock prices of companies, with markets, with politics, with anything, um, if I knew that, we wouldn't be sitting here in a basement in San Francisco. You and I would be recording this on our own private beach somewhere. Fair enough. Uh, so it's about preparing. And so how do you prepare? How do you prepare for uncertainty? How do you prepare for change? And that comes back to more of the 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 ways in which an individual thinks about their lives, the ways in which a leader thinks about who they are and the people or organizations are leading. I think that's really good. One of the things I talk about in the Bring It Out course is that I used to feel like I needed to know the exact nature of everything that was ahead before I could plan. But what I had realized over time and what I want to say to our audience is you can position yourself for the future without knowing everything about that future. That's right. Yeah. And we do this all the time, but we don't connect it to the other areas of our lives, especially our vocations. Um, probably many of you listening have a retirement account. It's not because you know exactly where you're going to retire or exactly when you're going to retire, but you're positioning yourself for the future. Well, we want your vocation to be even more exciting to you than the idea of retiring from it. You know, it's a small percentage of people, a tool, if I remember the research, that actually love what they do for a paycheck. And so what we want to do is say, hey, we can't control everything. We can't put you in the exact spot that you feel like you need to be in. But we do want to talk to you about preparation and positioning yourself. So for the person out there, it doesn't matter what age, if they don't have the specific idea about what they're supposed to be doing exactly, what are some general ways they can be preparing themselves for whatever the future might hold? Yeah, I think I think there's some real specific steps people can take, right? I think the first is having a sense of who you are. What are the unique things that God's planted in you? How do you discover point, that? Right. And, and I think the way you discover that is, is you give some thought, right? There's a the whole thing of like, Hey, what comes easy to you and what's hard to somebody else? That may be a clue. It may, it's not a guarantee, but maybe a clue, right? Um, I, I think there's a sense of what gives you energy. What kinds of things give you energy? I think there's a sense of what, what, where do you find yourself that's different from where everyone else is, right? Where, where are you unique? And I think here's, here's the hard part is answering those questions requires two things. One, it requires you to be willing to ask yourself those questions and grapple with it. And the second is you have to be willing to ask those questions about you to others whom you trust. That's so good. You know, you brought up a lot that I want to unpack. One of those things is we've been told by the world that if you want to be successful, you need to fit into this exact template whether that's being an executive and we'll talk about your role in working with executives later, but I get so saddened by people who are constantly comparing themselves to someone that they've not been called to be, you know? And so whether it's a celebrity, whether it's a person in their company, whether it's someone they're in church with or, you know, their neighbor above them or beside them, they feel like, oh, I wish I could do that. And, and they lose contentment when they begin to compare their lives to someone else. Uh, but we're called to do the thing that we're called to do. And that's really the only thing we should compare to. That's right. And, and, and it's even, it's even worse than I think the comparison to an individual. Cause maybe some of us have a person that like, that's who I think I should be. It becomes this composite we put around this. And I think. The world we find ourselves in now with social media contributes to this because quite frankly, what you see on social media is someone's best in a certain slice of their life. That so, they control, right? That they, that control. they, that they, they control. They, they control that image. So all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm not a world-class athlete and I'm not a world-class chef and I'm not flying on a private jet to my private island and I'm not 
running my fifth startup that by the way is my eighth unicorn and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And what we don't realize is those are slices of individuals. We create that as a composite around this. And now all of a sudden, now we feel wholly less than not just in one arena, right? So if you and I are like, Hey, you know what, Ben, we're pretty good athletes. We were probably better athletes back in the old day than we are now, but we're not anywhere close to the athlete that Buster Posey is. Right. right. Or we're not anywhere close. Maybe, maybe a, we're not anywhere close to the athlete that Steph Curry is. Although both Buster and Steph have a similar stature to you and I. They're, Absolutely. They're kinda, I don't, I don't know how you can tell dudes. us apart. <laughs> We've met these guys, right? Okay. So, but we can buy that off. But when we start aggregating that, not to Buster or, or Steph, but we start ag- aggregating that to people we know. And we're like, ooh, I'm not as good of an athlete as that person. I'm not as good of a husband as that person. I'm not as good as a hu- father as that person. I'm not as good as an executive as that person. You all of a sudden feel very disempowered. And, and, and the, 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 the point you made, uh, I want to bring back, which is critical is what God has called us to do is to be our best you, our best person who he created us to be unique and, and special and gifted in our own unique ways. So the race is in essence, you're running against yourself. Right. Right. Not against anyone else. Yep. Ah, it's a hard concept though. Yeah. Why do you think we're so mesmerized by keeping our focus and our attention on what everyone else is doing, on the race that everyone else is running to the point that we stop running our own race? What is that? I know social media has exacerbated that issue, but what is that that causes us really to play what I call the comparison game? And I say, even when you win the comparison game, you still lose. But how do do we free ourselves from that? Yeah, I I think a, it's okay to have that because it's, it's, it's part of our natural brokenness, right? So this, this comparison, we even think about the sense of the original sin. It was like, well, you can eat everything else, but not this one. Ooh, this one seems better than I got, right? We think about Cain and Abel. It's like, Hey, what's going on here? This guy's getting praise and I'm not getting praise. Hold on. I, I work hard too. So it's built into us. So I, on some part, it's acknowledge it. But I think here's here's where we have to break free of that cycle. And breaking free of that cycle is realizing, again, we come back to this, God created us for a unique purpose and mission and a unique calling with a unique set of gifts and a unique set of skills and a unique set of opportunities and a unique set of relationships. Where we are is not an accident, right? Where you are in your life physically, the geography you live in, where you are in your life, not just the city you live in, but the specific domicile, the apartment, the house, right? The neighborhood, where you are in your vocation, whatever that is, whether you're an intern or a CEO at this moment in time, that's not an accident. That's an opportunity. And what God wants us to do is to say, okay, God, how do I use this to your greater glory? Because you've given me something unique and different. No one else lives here. No one else has this job. No one else has these friends. So now what? It's hard, yeah. right? It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. Yeah, I read recently that confidence comes from competence. And what I see so many people struggling with is their sense of, some call it self-confidence, but just confidence in general, whatever the source of our confidence is. Why is that so? Why are we so familiar with our weaknesses, but we're not as clear on our strengths with probably keeps us from being confident in the thing we're giving our lives to. Yeah, I think some of it is just the way in which our our our, up, our upbringing comes into play, yep. right? We're told what we're not 
good at doing. We're told we missed five. You get, you get minus five instead of plus 95 on a test or whatever, right? Or you're told, hey, you're not good at math or you're not good at science. You're not good at this subject or that topic. You're not the, so there's a lot of, I think in society, because of this brokenness, somehow makes us feel better by putting someone else down. Right. And, and so that, that tape gets played in our brain over and over again about what I'm not good at. I'm not good at. We're told to work on our weaknesses. Hey, you may want to, right? You think about what happens in, in the context of, of organizations and, and reviews, performance reviews. I'm not a big fan of performance reviews in large part because the system is broken. It's an hour, right? You have the proverbial hour with your boss. We're going to talk about your performance. You spend five minutes talking about all the good things you do. And you spend 55 minutes on areas of opportunity for improvement, right? which is a great fancy way of saying the things that you're weak in. And, and I think it's natural for us to want to overcome some of those weaknesses. Now, look, there are some weaknesses we all have to work on. There's some basics that we have to get to, right? We tell, I tell our, we tell our daughters all the time, you may not be PhD mathematicians if that's not your calling, but you have to understand how math works. And you have to, you have to know that if you go to a restaurant and the bill comes and you're paying for it, you've got to figure out how to calculate the, the right tip, which in our opinion is 30% just an advertisement. So whatever that looks like, so, right? Okay. But, but beyond that, what does that look like? Well, you have to call, you have to follow where God's will is for your life and what's unique in, in terms of the giftedness he's given you. And how do you gain and grow in that self-awareness? I mean, some people just don't have a clue right? I'm not sure ignorance is bliss when it comes to our self-awareness. In fact, I'm sure it isn't. And when you don't have self-awareness, you're missing out on opportunities. You're missing out on where should you be growing because you don't even know who you are, what your strengths are. So give us a few clues how people can grow in their self-awareness, their understanding of, oh, this is what I'm like. This is how I'm wired. This is the kind of thing I should probably be doing with my vocation. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's a, it's again, it's a challenge, but it's a worthy challenge to, to take on. Part of it is being willing to accept the challenge to say, okay, I want to learn who I am. Yes. Right? What, what without makes fear, me, right? Without fear, because who we are is special. If you, if you buy into that, I keep coming back to the kind of that basic component, right? God made us unique. He, he literally knit us in our mother's wombs. So you think about that, it's like, okay, I'm kind of special. And if you don't believe that, then let's jump ahead to, to talk about what Christ did on the cross that he came for you and me. So, okay, he came and he, and he, and he died to make a way for me and for you. I guess I must be pretty special. Okay. Now, what we have to be careful of is not to fall into the narrative that we have that's gone the opposite direction, probably from when you and I came up. So when you and I came up, we came up in a time where there was a lot of emphasis on fix your weaknesses and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? And I think there's a course correction in society, American society specifically around let's preserve people's self-esteem, everyone, the participation, everyone gets a prize because yes. you can't, you can't give the winning team a trophy because that'll make the losing team feel bad. Correct. Right? So then we went to this thing of everyone's awesome. You're the greatest thing about everything. Whatever you want to do, you can do. So we've gone too far in that other direction. So a long way of saying, I think it's important to A, begin the journey and B, be honest with yourself. Yep. I think if you look in the mirror, you know what, you know where you find energy. You know the things that you do that come naturally to you and that are difficult to others. You know the things that, that you do well and you know where you struggle. 
And then is to invite in others to speak into that conversation. You've got the concept of the wisdom table, which I've learned from you, to say, how do you formalize that around literally a table, a board of directors for your life who can speak truth and wisdom to you, encouragement and redirection in a way that's oriented towards wanting to get the best out of you, right? The motivation's all about you. And they're telling you things that are not because it makes them feel good, right? but they're things you need to hear. Sometimes there are things you need to hear that, hey, you got to work on that because you're deficient and it's, and it's pulling you down. Other times it's, hey, you may not know this, but you're really good at that. You should do more of that. Did you know that you could be doing these other things? So that's both and, right? A yeah. mirror and others. That's great. And the wisdom table that Atul just mentioned, I actually spent two of the 11 sessions in the Bring It Out course on this idea of a wisdom table. But the short of it is just thinking about your life and how you need advisors in your life. We would think that a nonprofit or a for-profit company that did not have a board of directors is doomed for failure. And yet we don't have that similar kind of thing in how we think about our lives. And so, again, you can learn way more about that and you will in this podcast as well as the course. But who is at your wisdom table? Who is asking you the questions? Who are you inviting to say, here's what I think I should be doing with my life. Do you see that in me? Another thing you just mentioned that I, I try to coach people through is, I think, and tell me what you think, and even if you disagree, I'm so cool with that, as you know. I think when we're talking about our skills and giftings, we should really lean into our strengths. But when we're talking about our character, I think we should lean into our weakness. Sure. And so I'm always thinking personally, what is in my character that isn't where it needs to be because it's not like a skill. There's a lot of things I'm bad at. They're, they're never going to ask me as the lead pastor of Epic Church to, to, to do the music. I'm terrible at that. So I don't need to grow in that skill. But if I have an anger issue, I need to grow in that. So talk to me about that in terms of, uh, just what you have seen personally or, uh, this idea of, Hey, what, the way I ask it is, hey, what is present in your life that could actually hijack God's vision for your future? Absolutely. And, and the way you just described it, Ben, I think is, is in my mind, kind of one of these self-referential loops, right? So your skills and your character, because they can amplify each other or they can pull each other down. And, and so, hey, you may be, let's put it in our, our context, you may be a great leader in, in the church world. You and I have both known amazing orators. Yes. They, 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 can, they, can, they can teach a sermon. Yes. They can preach a sermon, move people and get people excited and amens and hallelujahs and all that other stuff. But because they weren't working on their character weaknesses, right? those character weaknesses eventually will, will be revealed and no skill can overcome those. And so you can have an amplifying effect, right? Which is if you understand what skills you have and you continue to develop those while working on the character piece, all of a sudden it becomes that much more powerful from a, from a point of view of having impact. And the opposite can be the case as well, right? And so it's really both. I, I love the distinction between the two and the recognition that you'll never get perfect on either side. Right. We're never going to overcome our sinful, broken nature, which is why Christ had to come for us. Because if there's a different way, it would have been a different way. If there's some way that we could we could work hard enough compensate for that to yes. overcome those gaps, to magic course we could take, okay, we'd do it, but there isn't. And by the way, on the skill side, <laughs> on the skill side, there's no way you're ever going to be at the top 
even if you think you are. And, and, and if you, and if you disagree with me on that, you might talk to anyone who you would believe is at the top of anyone's skill set and they'll point to someone else who's better. Maybe someone you've never heard of. So ask a world class musician, whomever that may be, who's the best at, who's the best guitarist? I think you're the best guitarist. And they'll give you five names of people right. who are better than them, right? Ask a, ask a CEO. Are you the, are you the greatest CEO in the world? They'll be like, no, I'm nowhere compared to these five, eight, 10 men and women, whoever that may be. And they'll also tell you, here's how I'm currently trying to grow. And here's where I'm trying to grow. So if you're listening and obviously you are, we want to get rid of that arrival mindset. I don't care how old you are, how rich you are, how many years you've been doing the thing that you're doing. And speaking of what you're doing, Atul, I know you're humble about this, but tell us what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis in the job that you get paid to do. I know we have vocation outside of our work, certainly as husbands and in your case, a a father to three girls. But in terms of what you get paid to do, what is it you're doing on a weekly basis? Yeah, I mean, if I had to sum it up, and it's it's basically I'm an advisor. I advise CEOs and other executive team members and board of directors um, of the world's largest companies. And I advise them on topics of innovation and strategy, of market marketing, kind of growth opportunities. Essentially, as a futurist, what does the world look like going forward? And, and, and the thing that we talked about a little while ago, you know, what are the, what are the possibilities, right? What are the ways in which you as an organization want to move into that future? And, and that's the, the kind of advice that I'm, I'm asked to give. Oftentimes it takes the form of asking a ton of questions without knowing any answers. That's really good. And if you didn't catch that, Atul said uh, subtly that he, advises executives in some of the world's largest organizations. So the reason I love that you're doing that is because Atul doesn't just have a job and he knows how people work at that job. And he's not just advising a handful of people. He's advising men and women, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. And so you've seen a ton of human behavior. You've seen organizational behavior. I know a lot of us, we are leaders within organizations or we want to be a leader in an organization. So you've seen a lot. You've seen how people have gone from, uh, you know, that intern position to the very top. Uh, when you think about the men and women that you observe, let's talk about the ones who the world says for sure are successful. And you even perhaps thought they were successful. And then you got to know them and you're like, there's more going on than just this appearance of success. Yeah. And that's, that's a a real danger sign, right? Which is if you start measuring success based on these external metrics, position, power, how much is in your bank account, there's going to always be someone more successful than yes. you. And the temptation then is to keep moving towards those outcomes. Um, and, and I've seen it. And we probably all have seen in our own personal lives, unfortunately, people who are in positions of authority and that gets unwound, whether that's individually or their teams or their entire organization or companies, because they may have had the skills but they didn't have that character piece that we talked about a few minutes ago, right? And so all of a sudden, it's just not authentic. It's not, it's not there. And it's, it's a house of cards that at some point in time can go away. And what about those that, yes, they are obviously successful because they are in the upper echelon in those type companies. And when you're talking about the world's largest companies, obviously we know certainly we're talking about a ton of profitability, a lot of impact. Everyone would know the brands. If you were to tell us, we're not going to go there for lots of obvious reasons, but the people that when you get close to them, you're like, you know what? 
I think even more of them up close than I thought of them from yeah. afar. What do they possess in terms of ambition, in terms of how they uh, do team, in terms of priorities around their own personal lives? Yeah, I mean, the, the big the big distinction I'd say is it, it is that character piece where they possess a selfless quality. They're, they're, they're doing what they do, not because they want things for themselves. It's not all about them, right? So it's not like, how can I get promoted? How can I move up the, the org chart? How can I maximize my bonus this year? How can I maximize my, you know, bank account? It's very much around how can I help? How can I enable? How can I facilitate? How can I unlock? How can I develop others? And, and when that orientation is present, what you find is leaders, quite frankly, uh, uh, who people want to work for, right? Who people want to advocate for, pe- who people believe in, who they're attracted. Why? Why? Not because they're successful, but because they're authentic, right? I love that. And I want you to hear the counterintuitive truth that Atul just shared. It could be because you have big aspirations for your future career. You think that you've got to make it all about you, that you have to put yourself in the center. And this, there are companies where this is going down, right? For you to win, you've got to not only overcome the competition outside of your business or organization, you actually have to overcome the people who on paper look like teammates, but you're thinking, no, they're actually the, the enemies. And so, um, yeah, whatever is ahead for you, it's never going to be all about you. And even if you want to become a leader way up in the organization or in some other company, yeah, what if you began to ask the question, not how can I get to the next rung on the ladder, but what can I do to help people on my team and the larger organization to achieve its mission and to make it more enjoyable to work here. So yeah. you, you've seen this. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, there's, there's lots of examples and, and I think probably many of us have experienced these ourselves where we've been part of a team. We may have worked for an individual or, or someone maybe more senior in the organization. Maybe it's your boss's boss's boss or whomever that's kind of embodied these characteristics and, and you've seen the success follow thereafter. I mean, I think if you do an analysis of the the world's biggest companies, especially those who in the last, you know, five, eight, 10 years have undergone leadership transitions at the top, at the CEO level, there are a number of examples where a person has come in to, to that job from inside the organization. Mm. And I know that having worked uh, with, with some of these organizations, the initial thought was from the board of directors Hey, let's look outside. This is a great opportunity. New, new energy, new ideas, fresh perspective. This is a great time to bring a new leader in from the outside. Sometimes it's the right thing to do, but what I, what I've seen more often than not is these internal candidates rising, but those internal candidates weren't advocating necessarily for themselves. Hmm. Right. Now, just, just to be clear, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a self advocate. You right. want to be careful. For sure. Right. You want to stand up for yourself and make sure you're not, you know, being ill treated and so forth. But what I do mean is, when the boards of those companies reached out to the employees and said, who should be the next CEO? The answer was very clear from inside who that person should be. And it came not just from that person's team directly, but from other parts of the organization. That's the one person who should lead us. Why is that the case? It's because that's an individual who led in this more selfless way. Uh, I, I had an old boss tell me a, a, while, a long time ago that if you're doing your job really well, you don't need to advocate for yourself to get promoted. Your team will do it for you. They'll come in and they'll go to the boss's boss's boss and say, 
that's the person who needs that job. That's the person who I want to work for. And by the way, if you kind of bring someone else in, I may not want to be here. So, you know, again, you want to be careful. You do want to advocate for yourself. I'm not, you know, we want to be careful that people are standing up for themselves and their rights and so forth and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to ambition, when it comes to progression in an organization, if you do what you need to do by helping others, that, 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 that comes back to help you in the end. That's really good. Well, we're almost out of time for today, but are there a couple of things you would say as we think about our vision for helping people begin to clarify? This is some of that self-awareness. How do they do the preparation and positioning? A couple of just general ideas, because we know people are listening all over the place in terms of especially their vocation. Any suggestions as we wrap up? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's two things you can do. One is work that you need to do on, uh, with yourself. And just, I think it's, it's important to be honest. And to say, hey, what am I good at doing? What gives me energy? Where do I feel called? Where do I feel led? What, what's, what's exciting for me? What would get me up in the morning before the alarm clock goes off, right? Those kinds of questions. And conversely, what are things that I'm struggling with that, that are really hard? And then you have to think about them. Why? Right. So there's, there's that deep work that you need to engage in, take on the challenge of knowing yourself. But I think then you have to invite in others to that conversation, others who know you well. Others who, who have your best interests at heart. It doesn't have to be everybody, right? In fact, it shouldn't be. Please do not make, it, make everybody. it everybody. Your wisdom, you've taught us, right? The wisdom table is not an infinitely sized one. It's, right. it's a table. Um, but I think, I think it's important to know that this is a journey, right? Let, let's be careful not to feel like where we are today is the destination and we're done. Let's also be careful not to, not to lose sight of the fact that God has us on a mission. Yep. And, how do you know you're still on God's mission? Well, are, are you still here? If, if you're living and breathing, then, then your job's not done yet. So the third piece of the puzzle. So I think there's deep work inside. I think there's, there's work from godly advisors. I think it's, I think it's getting tight with the Lord. It's so good. So again, just to recap those three things, as you're getting to know yourself, hey, what am I good at? What experiences have shaped me? What keeps me awake or wakes me up in the morning? Not the stressful stuff, but the exciting kinds of things. And then after you discover those, possible ideas, take them to the right trusted advisors, what we call your wisdom table and say, hey, here's what I think. Could you speak into this? Do you see this in me? Am I off? And uh, as they get you that affirmation or maybe they go, hey, I don't know that that's like, again, they're not God, but you want to trust the right people. And, And then to your point, if there is a maker and a creator of you and someone who has deposited all this in you, It absolutely makes sense that we would want to get to know who that is. Atul, thanks so much for joining me on this first episode of the Bring It Out podcast. And uh, I hope that whatever has been put in you, you will go discover what that is and begin to put it into practice. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Bring It Out podcast. If you want to go deeper, I've created the Bring It Out course and it's absolutely free. This 11 session course includes teaching for me, as well as a PDF guide to help you process all you learn along the way. You can download the course at benpilgreen.com slash course. Thanks for listening today. May you bring out everything that's been put inside of you.